Looking forward to a brave new world. Welcome to Hand of Pod. episode of the new season if you're wondering what happened to the post round one episode of the Toreo Apertura we didn't have one uh, so don't panic a couple of people did ask me but if you don't see anything on the Hand of Pod blog or on our RSS feed then that means I've not uploaded anything so you haven't missed out we are delighted to say that we're very slowly dragging ourselves back to something like full strength this week Fitting really that it's still another Racing fan who's missing, being that Teo Gutierrez, uh, not Teo Gutierrez, Gio Moreno, the other Colombian, still has to come back as well. I think English Dan's going to return just about the same time as he is. But I'm Sam Kelly and I'm here with Seba Garcia, who's back from Rio de Janeiro. Yeah, hello. I- I'm not sure about full strength. I think I'm injured. I'm carrying an injury, but I'll do my best. <laughs> and Australian Dan, who's just arrived from the Micro Centre of Buenos Aires. Hi, how are yeah, it, it, it being a not stormy night for the first time since we planned to have Seba in my flat recording, he's actually here in person as well, so there won't be any Skype recording issues. Uh, the big thing that we have to start the show with, of course, is, is the news that just came through maybe an hour or so before we started recording, in fact, um, of Alejandro Sabela's first squad as Argentina manager. It's actually a second squad as Argentina manager because he named a much less important one a couple of hours before. I'm going to start with that. Because I was a little bit surprised when I first heard that they were going to con- continue with this local national team business. Um, I, I'm not sure of, of the value of it, or, or I'm sure I, I think there's value in it if you use young players. But of course, the biggest name uh, call up for this has been, and the way the Argentine papers are all going to be reporting it tomorrow, is that Juan Román Riquelme is back in the national team, even though he's not really, because it's just the national B team. Uh, Seba. As an Argentina fan, as well as as writer, how do you feel about uh, about it? This is for the double-headed it's friendly with yeah, Brazil as well. Yeah, well, first of all, um, maybe some people will miss my rants because I'm not gonna be ranting a lot uh, with the new manager we have because this is the first proper manager we have since the end of the World Cup in two, in 2006 in Germany after Peckerman left. We had a succession of three terrible managers. I mean, Basile used to be a good manager, mm-hmm. but he was past his prime. He wasn't his time, and he lost the dressing the dressing room so uh, too early, and he had to go. He had to go. And then I, I don't even want to say anything about Maradona and Batista. So now we have a proper manager, and I think now Argentina will be competitive once again. And all of a sudden. Uh, I, th- I think Sabella could actually benefit from having a domestic league and in a way I think he's forced to, to be picking a team for formed by domestic players because of this uh, new international cup which is 
friendly, but it's never friendly against Brazil. Oh, okay. In which both I didn't realize there was a trophy involved. Yeah, it is a trophy. They used to be. It's a rehash of something that they had before, right? Well, there used to be a competition called the Copa Roca. Uh, Julio Roca was a, a military, a, a military. Uh, <coughs> how do you call it? A general or something, and he he wiped. Uh, the the entire original uh, oh Jesus the, the indigenous, the indigenous yeah exactly yeah, I was trying to find that word and yet he was regarded as one of the most important personalities in 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 Argentina um, well, when it comes to government and he was president of Argentina too and uh, well. In the past, when he's Pelé he's used to play... hundred peso notes. He is, yeah, he yeah. is. Yeah, assassin. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, there used to be a cup competition between Argentina and Brazil, home and away fixtures, and now they're trying to bring it up again. And, and for that, they said uh, these national teams are only are allowed to pick players that are playing in their uh, domestic uh, leagues. So now Brazil has a clear advantage because they, they have a much better league uh, set up and a lot of stars are coming back from Europe on, on their prime like Ronaldinho playing excellent mm. and they have the up and coming youngsters that in Brazil they are uh, able to stay a, li- a bit longer than in Argentina because clubs in Brazil can afford it and in Argentina it's not the case so anyway that's uh, a bit uh, going into too much detail but I think I, I, I should, uh, I'd like to just very quickly because a lot of our listeners will be aware of how much uh, let's say politics and football can mix in Latin America that the resurrection of this tournament according to Wikipedia includes an agreement to change the name of the tournament oh, yeah. so it's not going to be called the Copa Roca <laughs> yeah. that is the, then the current holders of Brazil who won uh, 4-1 on aggregate in 1976. Uh, they named it after one of the the Comneval guys, right? Yeah, Nicolas Leos. Yeah. Oh, this is the Copa Nicolas Leos, is it? Well, but the way I've seen it referred to in the Argentine press has, has been the Copa Roca, uh, Roca yeah. so far. So. Like Copa Roca 2.0. <laughs> but anyway, I think it's uh, in a way Isabella is forced to be picking this team, mm. and this was a competition that was already organized before Sabella was named so now it's not like Sabella went to Grandona to say hey I want to have a local team but but in this case unlike in the cases of Maradona and and Batista I really think it makes some sense because I'm thinking Sabella will play the same system with both teams the domestic and the full senior side and then because of the dynamics of football you could have a player in the domestic league uh, for a couple of months and then in maybe in January oh, he's, no. he's off to Europe and you can have him on the full national side and Sabela could use this time uh, to, to start knowing these players and to start working with them. So we've seen examples versa. of like uh, Enzo Perez and, and Ricky Alvarez now who, who were playing in the local national teams and now they're in the that they've moved to Europe and they can slot into the system. I exactly. And then if, if Savela thinks it, it's uh, appropriate, he could have some of these domestic players joining the full national teams in some positions, like, for example, at right back, uh, is, there's Ivan Pichud. We all we have been talking about him, and I think he's at least in the top three of, their, of right backs in, in, in Argentina, or maybe top two, Sanetti and him. 
uh, I don't know if they're well, maybe Yango Nervo, who was playing in the under-20s. Yeah, well, he, maybe he's a bit too young for... for, for he's, he's only 19, 20. That's, that's another thing I, I did notice with the squad, is that the players involved in the under-20 World Cup haven't been called up, All right. by and large. I, I would assume that that's most of the reason, given that some of them are even resting after the tournament. Yeah, and also because the, the ones ha- uh, who have been picked are better than... And all of the players that were in the under twenty, exception made of uh, the exception being made of Lamela and Iturbe, who, were, mm. who are not not playing in Argentina anymore. Sure. So, um, I think it's interesting. I, I I'm really looking forward for it for the first time because not only because it's going to be at least entertaining to to play Brazil, and we are going to be the underdogs, no doubt about it. Uh, but I really want to see how Sabela makes these guys work. Yeah. And and that takes us to the other well, uh, before, national team. Before we do, I just wanted to ask in terms of the. Well, should we mention some, maybe some of the players who are yeah. in there? Like um, uh, the, the squad. Uh, there are just two goalkeepers: Marcelo Barrovero and Agustin Orion, uh, Vélez Sarsfield, and and now Boca Juniors. Although Orion was uh, Estudiantes yeah, yeah. before, wasn't he? Um, respectively. The the ones who stand out to me, and I was wondering Seba particularly as a Racing supporter. Um, the one who certainly I've seen the least of, probably, along with maybe Hector Cantero Sabeles, is Lucas Castro, mm-hmm. uh, who's a relatively uh, kind of recent uh, breakthrough player at Racing. What can we expect to see from him? If, do you think he'll, he'll play? or he'll play very well. And if uh, he yeah, does, yeah, you know, assuming yeah, he comes off the bench or whatever, what kind of player is he for our listeners? Because most of the others, I think, at least regular hand of pod listers, will have heard of, at least the name said of most of the others. You have players like... Rodrigo Brania, Beron, Riquelme, of course, Cristian Chavez of Boca, Diego Valeri, uh, Juan Manuel Martinez, Gaston Fernandez. And a couple of youngsters, Verón uh, and Riquelme, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I think really show the value of, of this kind of fixture. Um, but Lucas Castro, what, what kind of player is he? Well, um, to be honest, I haven't seen much of him when he was playing for Gimnasia and he, he just signed, signed for Racing. He played against Tigre in the first week and had an assist for Teo Gutierrez. And then, in my opinion, he was man of the match last night on, on uh, Wednesday, Wednesday night mm-hmm. uh, against Godoy Cruz. He had a, he scored a beautiful goal with a chip over the goalkeeper and hit the post too. And in my opinion, he was man of the match. He play, he can play wide midfielder. I think it's a bit of uh, if you have to compare him with a famous Argentine. Player, I think he could be compared with uh, Jonas Gutierrez, but with a lot more skills on the ball and with a lot more footballing brain, okay. in my opinion. But he's that kind of player that comes and goes. Big as Jonas, but yeah, well, lo- long legs. Jonas is a yeah. bit more uh, bulkier. But then he's also several years older, so that too. Yeah. But yeah, he they they can. I compare them because they play wide. Uh, they could play in midfield and, and go a little bit uh, forward too. And that that was uh, the, the the first comparison I thought of when when I saw him play. And I think it's. Uh, I don't know if he's gonna have an opportunity to be a starter for this domestic national team, but I think it's a good option. And maybe the, 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 there's going to be others that are going to be ahead of him when Sabela picks the team. Like, Because uh, oh. I'm thinking maybe Sabela will play with um, 
5-3-2 formation. But those... Uh, yeah, given but, the players that he's got. Yeah, yeah but those five... It's kind of a, it, it could become a three-five-two, three, yeah. yeah. And because he could probably play Papa on the left and Pichud on the right, and those two can be midfielders and defenders. Yeah, yeah. According to the system that a lot of the clubs use, um, yeah. I would expect yeah. the midfield to be something like Brania, Verona, and Riquelme. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That, that was what I'm saying. Valeri, well, Valeri, sure, but I mean. You love in, in my in my opinion, at least he's not because he's not 30, 35 yeah. unless he's <laughs> But, but <laughs> I, I, I agree. I, I think I'd probably rather, in terms of in developing the the team of the future, I'd probably rather give, really, give Valeri yeah. a chance, who's twenty five, as opposed to Riquelme, who's thirty three. Well, this is maybe just before Pe- we get into might come in for Branja. Just before we get into the discussion, because Seba and I have been arguing about this on Twitter for a while. Um, but before we get into that, I just like w- want to point out some of the players. For example, Lisandro Lopez, not the the fake one, <laughs> the fake. Li- li- <laughs> but this is a guy who who is a, as a centre back um, could be in in some of those real long term plans, not just for the local team. And quite a high high goal scoring centre back as well. As um, and. Well, there's uh, Leandro de Sabato in the same position, mm-hmm. so I think uh, Sabela. I think it's a good decision by Sabela uh, of having Vélez and Estudiantes players as a backbone of this yeah. uh, team. So. Vélez because they're the form team, the best team in the country this uh, this last couple of tournaments, and Estudiantes because of course he, those players have an advantage over the rest, and it's logical because they know him. Uh, it's a bit like what Jose Mourinho does when he moves from, from club to club and he keeps sa- signing the same players right. and uh, incidentally from the same agent but that's another <laughs> that's another point but the thing is uh, by calling calling up these estudiantes players he has the advantage of knowing them oh. and vice versa and uh, he can probably make sure of the players talking to the others and yeah. and trying to to help them understand the way Sabela works. Okay. And I, I noticed hmm. sorry Sarah. I noticed as well that in in the senior squad which we'll get onto in a, in a couple of minutes uh, there are quite a few ex estudiantes players in that as well um, mm-hmm. who, who played under him. But I was I was going to say that I've just counted them up quickly because we have the list in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are six estudiantes players in this domestic squad so theoretically if he wanted to more than half of the starting 11 could be Yes. Estudiantes um, players, so yeah, it's a it's a very good point, especially you know, Branya and Verón in midfield. Sorry, no, you have to hand it to Sabela because he won the Copa Libertadores with those players, he won the league with those players, so he he knows how to get the best out of them, and he probably feels safe by picking all of them. I, I'm not saying I love all of those players because mm. I I can't stand the side of Leandro de Sabato <laughs> and uh, Verón is probably. If I was the coach, I mean, I'm not opposing to to be to him being called up. It could work as a farewell couple of fixtures for him. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was thinking of retiring, and maybe that's in the in in Sabela's mind uh, to call him up, give him another chance, another shot of yeah. playing an international match. If anybody is wondering what Seb is referring to there, I'm sure we'll get onto it a little bit later when we get mm-hmm. to talking about the domestic league. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, I'm not saying I, bl- I love all those Estudiantes players, but if Sabela feels safe uh, and knows that he can get the better, best uh, out of those players, I mean, it's like what Carlos Bianchi used to do with, with, when he was manager of Vélez and Boca. Every time he 
uh, every time one player left uh, a, a team managed by by Bianchi, he suddenly underachieved every, anywhere yeah. Yeah. he went. And we've yeah. commented on this because Estudiantes have been woeful mm-hmm. uh, exactly. yeah. since Sabella left them. Mm-hmm. And Sabella, as, as Dan said a couple of weeks ago on the pod, very modestly kind of said, you know, that the main difference is that they don't have uh, uh, Rojo or Rojo mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, anymore. And the main difference, undeniably, if you're not Alejandro Sabella, is that Estudiantes don't have Alejandro Sabella anymore. Yeah, that's that's my my theory on that, or my yeah. uh, opinion on that. One, uh, and because not only that, sorry, sorry, just on this same subject, because not only when they left uh, the teams managed by Bianchi, and in this case Sabella, uh, but when they were playing under them, they massively overachieved. Like mm-hmm. we we saw uh, Aníbal Matejan absolutely uh, destroying Luis Figo. Like <coughs> and and if you compare the, the skills of those yeah, two yeah. players, it's like and that's what I like about Bianchi and Sabella. They get the best out of the players and they they make them believe they're better than the rest. And that's the kind of mentality I'm hoping Sabella can can instill yeah, well, this if Sabella group can give of players. That to, to play. If Sabella can make Lionel Messi overachieve compared to his ability, then God, world of out world. Yeah, just going back to what we were talking about before, what I, I, I just don't understand why Riquelme and Bedon would be in this team. Severely. Well, there's also another factor we, we don't have to... Uh, we can't ignore is the fact that we you you also need to sell tickets to to yeah. these games. And right? this is well, something I was going to try and use as a way of transitioning into talking about the full side, because uh, as you say, as well as that, there's also the media yeah, uh, pressure, right. and particularly with Riquelme, which, which is enormous. Veron maybe not so much because he's having real difficulty with his own body at the moment. But it, it's kind of one of the names that stand that stood out for me in this domestic squad. Um, in the forwards name is Emmanuel Higliotti I think that's a real obviously he's now with San Lorenzo but last season he was with all boys and that's a great testament to how well he did with yeah, them really keeping them up him in there. Um, he, and he, looks, he looks about 30 but he's only like 20 yeah. he's younger than that isn't he he's yeah exactly um, but one of the names another former all boys player who's made the headlines on the other squad how good am I at making these links is Carlos Tevez <laughs> Not that he was called Carlos Tevez when he played for All Boys. He was called Carlos Martinez um, and changed his name so that Boca wouldn't have to pay a transfer fee when they signed him. You love him, right? Something for you, in fact. <laughs> I, I, I know that. Yeah. I knew that. My, my feelings on Carlos Tevez have been written about at great length, so I can't <laughs> go into them anymore. But he's, he's not in the senior squad um, to face Venezuela and Nigeria. Did yeah. I tell you I love Sabela? I'm <laughs> loving him <laughs> every day. Even more by the minute. The thing is that I, I wonder, because we've just been talking about um, Isabella essentially, possibly at least, calling Riquelme up, in part because he's slightly wary about the media pressure and he doesn't mm. want to lump it all onto himself at once. But equally, not calling Tevez up to the senior squad. If the senior squad had been the only squad announced today, mm. then they would have all jumped on the fact that Tevez wasn't in it. Mm. Because... As Maradona said, and it's one of the, the truest things that Maradona ever said, Tevez is el jugador del pueblo, the player of the people. And everybody in Argentina wants him in the squad, regardless of the fact that he was crap yeah, in the Copa America. Regardless of the fact that, that Tevez is frozen out of Manchester City and all of this, um, his absence is, is going to be the main talking point for a lot of people uh, when, when the papers come out tomorrow. But the squad as a whole... 
looks good. Uh, the, the players who, who are going to be playing, the, these friendlies are going to be played in the first week of September. Uh, they're playing in Calcutta against Venezuela. <coughs> Excuse me. And in Dhaka in, uh, in Bangladesh uh, against Nigeria. Again, in a revenge match for that 4-1 thrashing <laughs> they got in Abuja, which was in no way rigged. <laughs> there's, there's one player from the domestic league in that squad, Esteban Andrada of Lanús, uh, the goalkeeper who was nice. recently linked with Barcelona, although he's not... I don't think he's under 20 goalkeeper. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Daniel. Yeah, you're right. One of them is included. I don't think he's that, actually that good, but well... But then, as we've discussed, like yeah. we, we don't seem to agree in any of um, But yeah, I mean, the others, uh, there are a few of the, the old guard, particularly in defence, Martin Demichelis. Well, that's a big surprise, Demichelis being Which is the one name that really stands out, you're right. But others, Federico Fernandez, um, Ezequiel Garay, um, there was uh, Nicolas Otamendi. Some of these are defenders who we were saying yeah, before Copa we wish had been called up and need to be given a chance between now and the World Cup. I think it's going the right way, and Ricky Alvarez, of course, the big name. Can I, can I say field. two words about this, or maybe one? Go, Lisandro. That's it, and, and, I, and, equally, and I'm and I'm smiling. Uh, and, and equally, anybody who's uh, long-term readers of my blog, Astago Siempre, will be aware that I'll be over the moon at Lucho Gonzalez being called up again as well. In, in fact, people who, people who read something I wrote on there yesterday will be aware that I'm over the moon. And I had no idea when I wrote that that he was going to be called up. Um, well, I, I really like yeah, the look no. of the, the defence. As, as like I'm not sure about Demi Chelis, but as I was saying to you guys before we came on air, I think that might be something to do with him wanting to have a couple of experienced players in there. So he's got mm. Burdiso, Sanetti, and the, the Inter guys are not playing because he didn't want to offend or he didn't want to uh, anger Inter by calling up too many players. So I think maybe that's why Demi Chelis is in there. Because I, I thought he'd been sort of cast aside from the national team. The only one I'm really surprised at other than that is Jonas Gutierrez, again, because yeah. I, I guess just because I, I still find it difficult to get over the, um, the fact that he played a part in Newcastle's relegation campaign and then played in the World Cup that, that same year under Maradona. He played a part in Newcastle's promotion. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I'd, <laughs> I, I think he's a good player. Um, but, but I'm just... Well, I, I still can't quite get my head around. Position, perhaps, mm. and, oh, no, no, of course, I'd... Uh, and I was actually defending him during the World Cup for that, but I'm st- I still can't quite get my head around it. So well, you're quite surprising actually as a forward, uh, but a promising forward as well. I, I think Salvio could be. I, I'm, I'm glad that he's he's got that because he's had a good couple of seasons in Europe since he moved over. Well, season um, and a half. Some of the other names we have: Rinaldo. We have um, Rinaldo, who just moved to Sporting Lisbon from mm-hmm. Gimnasia. He was one of the. Two or three good players Gimnasia had, and he, he couldn't do anything to save them. And I, th- I see him as a backup for Macherano, which we didn't have a clear play like like a player that is so similar to mm. to Macherano yeah, for Copa America. And that's the, the the thing that really stands out for me in this list is really balanced. You know, you have options. You you can yeah. switch from formations. You can you can change your tactics. You can have different approach. Uh, Approaches to, to to the same game, and that's something I really like. It's, it's this is a group of players that could give you a lot of versatility, you know, and that's something we've been lacking. And I think it's an intelligent list, not not just to please the media or. or yeah. I mean, I don't think he's pleasing the media with this. No, And I was reading it. Well, there's a Kantashian article which seemed to be fairly certain that he was planning on always playing with with two forwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and either as a four four two or as a 
that that formation we were talking about before, which is a, either a, a five. Uh, a 3-2 or a 3-5-2 kind of thing with, with uh, the wing backs mm-hmm. uh, filling both roles uh, which, 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 which would be a fairly big departure from what Batista was playing and interesting in a way as well because as Jonathan Wilson uh, I can't remember whether he said it on the pod actually but as, as he's pointed out many times before that's a formation that was essentially invented by Carlos Bilardo to get the best out of Maradona at the 86 World Cup well, so for a manager who's considerably more likeable than Bilardo to start using it again with Argentina if, mm-hmm. if it were to happen the other um, unusual thing about it is the fact that Riquelme doesn't seem to fit very well into a, a 4-4-2 system mm-hmm. uh, which is another reason I think it's strange that he got called up for the local team but you know apart from that well and, and as we know Sabella is flexible coach he's not he's not one of these guys like Batista Maradona who, who had one or two ideas, a plan A and a plan B, and if, if things went wrong, he, he didn't know how to react. Yeah. Sabella, we know he can, mm-hmm. can mould his team to the situation and to the players. So. And I've been wondering, with one or two of the midfielders in there, um, obviously Banega uh, keeps his place, and also with, with the fact, as you say, Seba, that Rinaldo has, has been, Fabiano Rinaldo has been called up as either a replacement or maybe a partner to Mascherano. I wonder whether he might be thinking about playing what in Argentina is called a doble cinco, a double five as well, where you have two defensive midfielders and three more attacking, and as a variation he, perhaps. But he, there are a lot of midfielders in there. And if, he, if he's not thinking of doing that right away, he can do it if, yeah. he, if he needs uh, to do it in, in a certain situation. Like second half, I'm leading by two and I want to test something, I, I put a doble cinco, mm. it's two central holding midfielders. And he can do it. Like Batista couldn't change anything uh, if he wanted to. Like no, he couldn't change no. the approach without playing players out of position. Uh, Sabella won't have that, that that problem because he planned accordingly and yeah. he knows what he's doing. Basically, and why do you say that he's happy that he doesn't have the Tevez isn't in the team? I am. I, I can go on record on that. I, I don't think Tevez is committed enough. I mean, it's and and for starters. For starters, he doesn't know where he's going to be playing his club football. He, I think he he made a, a bold move and he sent a statement saying, I'm not going to play for Manchester City anymore mm. because he thought he was going to be sold to, to somewhere. And he, I'm not saying he was bluffing because he clearly wants out, but now he doesn't know where to go and nobody wants to take him. And, and, and he's with, and, and obviously as a Manchester United fan, as regular listeners will know I am, um, and also just as somebody who wishes that so many English clubs weren't owned by <laughs> people who can uh, corrupt the game to some extent or, or throw it into disrepute or whatever um, but one thing that, that's quite a happy upshot of all of this is that Tevez having decided to take this hardcore approach is owned by perhaps the one club in the world who can actually financially speaking just afford to say <laughs> to him okay you're not going to play then yeah you know, if, if you're going to throw a hissy fit, then you're going to sit on the bench for a season and see who's interested in you in, in, a, year's, in a year's time or in two years' time when your contract runs yeah. out or whatever. But by the way, for, for what it's worth, to defend Tevez a little bit, if, he, if it's possible to say that, um, he has been terribly misquoted and, and people in England are assuming he said when he was on, on a break with, with Argentina on international duty for Copa America, he said he... Uh, well... People in England are saying he, he said that he wouldn't go back to Manchester, not even on holidays. Not, he doesn't want to. He didn't want to go there. What he actually said was that after his career was over, he doesn't think there is too much to do in Manchester to go visit or to, to spend some time there. It's not like 
people are making it look like he said, oh, I'm not going mm. there because I, I hate it or whatever. Right. As someone who did a certain amount of my growing up in Manchester and very much loves the city, I'd like to say he's an idiot. But anyway. yeah. Is it true there's only two well, this is the other. That, that's actually the, the quote I found most ridiculous. It's his idea that the food in Manchester is bad. I mean, we live in Buenos Aires. We know that great though Argentine food can be. No offence, meant Seba, but it's not fantastically varied. Um, so for Carlos Tevez to start saying that, who needs to vary when you have the best steak in the world? You can you can eat steak every day. Here we have it. There's no need to vary. As my parents will discover in about six months when they come to visit me, you can get bored of there is such a thing as too much steak. Unfortunately, I'm going to put the microphone down briefly in a minute and, and refill my fernet. Uh, but does anybody no, brand name not mentioned? But does anybody um, have anything else to say about these? Sabella lists in the yeah, well to finish on Tevez the, I, I wanted to say that uh, I'm not sad to see him out of the national team and I hope he's not called again for Argentina unless ever ever, ever uh, unless he dramatically changes his approach which I don't think he will mm-hmm. he wants to be the alpha dog and there's no way he can be the alpha dog yeah. with Messi around this is something that, that I was thinking as well Is uh, and, and the one thing although I, I, I particularly just now have been quite scathing about Tevez's personality. I, he's a fantastic player. I, I, I don't want there to be any Amazing. confusion over that. Amazing. But it's impossible to get away from the fact that he was crap during the Copa America. He was crap during the last World Cup. And the However brilliant he was for Manchester City last season and the season before that, he, far more than Lionel Messi, who's the player who actually has to have this on his shoulder all the time when it just isn't true... Tevez is the one who is not as good for Argentina as he is for his club. To an extent, some of the others as well. Lavezzi, mm. who's not in this squad. Um, Di Maria, in, in my opinion at least. Aguero, to a certain extent. They can be too individualistic. They can get, I don't know, too used to the fact that, these are, that, that they are the best player at their club. And therefore, they arrive in Argentina to train with the national team. And they want to be the guy that, that mm. the player is revolving around. And this business of them all saying, oh, we all know we have to play and, and help to get the best out of Messi, is lip service. It's, yeah, it's, it's a big difference between what they, what they say and what they do. And, and, and I think Sabella, if anything, is, is, if anybody is going to hammer it into the heads of these often, and from a curious. non-footballing <laughs> point of view, fairly stupid people, mm. um, that this is... <laughs> That, that this is the attitude they have to have that they need to take it well. submit themselves let's say to, to, to playing for Messi as much as anybody else although really to playing for Argentina I think it's going to be Sabella if anybody can do that well, who were, I can't remember who was saying today I'm sorry for copying your idea but it was that basic idea that, that like Messi is the one who, who most cops it for, for not playing as well for Argentina but of the guys who seem to be playing for the team Messi is the one who, who looks to be playing yeah. for the team more than anyone else yeah. and Wait. I thought as well Iguain in the last couple of matches of the Copa America yeah, he, he knew that's that he was saying playing terribly <laughs> but he was making no it wasn't me on Twitter at least I, I made the point on my blog yesterday but Iguain even when he realised that he was playing dreadfully in front of goal and couldn't score was still making all of the Absolutely. runs he needed to make and to well Mastellano Messi Iguain is about all you can think of yeah. the guys that absolutely have the team ahead of themselves whereas everyone else uh, Tevez during the Copa America he, he seemed to be trying to I don't know outshine Messi or, or whatever he was trying to do Tevez trying to beat his man every single time point too much since 2006 <laughs> Tevez has been like this but he's got the immunity because he's a vocal legend and that's something I always say and I won't be tired of saying it uh, 
if you're a Boca legend or a River legend, you have protection from media yeah. and public opinion, and that's not the case for, unfortunately, for Messi. No, but I, I'm, I'm really confident this will change. I'm <laughs> sad because next, the next opportunity Messi will have to win an, an official trophy, he will be 27 years old. Yeah, well, and he'll that's be, sad. what, that's really eight sad. months older than Maradona, was in 86? Yeah, that's... Yeah, well... Not that we want to pile more pressure on him or anything. I don't want to go there. Yeah, anymore, yeah, yeah. In Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the other thing, yeah, I mean, you can be you can be sad about him, but at the same time, if he did help Argentina to be impressive well, in the yeah, Brazilian World Cup... There's not going to be much more <laughs> argument about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to put the microphone down now, recharge my glass, and then we'll be back to talk about the first couple of rounds of the Torneo Apertura After 2011. After some questions from our listeners, you're very right, Dan. We're now going to get on to the more regular feature of Hand of Pod because, of course, domestic football is much more regular than international football. It's a very dull intro. Isn't it? <laughs> Insightful commentary there. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of incision that you don't get elsewhere. Um, but, yeah, we have had some questions, particularly Australian Dan has been fishing for questions on Twitter today from, from some been, of our listeners. Trawling. Um, Twitter for questions <laughs> and, and he's picked out three of the best uh, <laughs> one of the ones I wish he'd, he'd uh, used was is Fernet a generic term in Argentina it's, it's or Sebas question which was yes. is it going to rain tonight yeah but no they um, didn't make the top three no so Dan you're well the first of your top three well um, we have a couple of questions from a young fellow called Matty Chesterton um, the first one was a bit silly I think I, I don't know if he was being serious or not but he said um well, he actually said it wasn't a question he said does anyone want to bet that Messi is going to score more goals than all the other Argentinians in Europe combined uh, this season so I, I think he's, he was maybe playing silly buggers there so we don't well, have to answer well, if Barcelona keeps playing Real Madrid <laughs> he will score twice a game maybe that's well, I don't know. Aguero is at what two goals in thirty minutes at the moment, so yeah. you know he's averaging a goal every fifteen minutes. So. But uh, his perhaps more serious question um, was sort of related to what we were talking about before: is like how low would he asked about Argentina and Brazil actually? How low would these teams have to go into into decline before they decided to choose a foreign manager? Which is something we've touched on. Like I think one of the first pods we sort of touched yeah. on with, with our jokes about Francesco or whatever, but. <laughs> It's worth re- going over again, I think. I think it would take a change of... In Brazil's case, I think they'd have to sink a lot deeper because they've got far more depth in terms of managers available to them. In Argentina's, I think it would need as much a change of president as anything else. Grandona isn't going to do it. But I can see somebody slightly more forward-thinking if that were to happen in the AFA, which it wouldn't. But if it were, I could see them thinking about calling up a foreigner at least. In Brazil, I think there are so many managers I would say the same about Argentina admittedly in Brazil a lot of the time it's the same managers circulating through the same jobs at club level but there are more of them whereas in Argentina in terms of up and coming young managers you've got what Luis Subaldia Simeone if he does well in this second spell back at Racing I think there's heaps actually I I think you underplay how many managers there are in Argentina who are of a decent tactical level and they would never do it just for the fact that it it could be possible I think it it would possibly not be the the worst idea in the world to to bring someone in with 
Well, that's some. my point. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they would ever actually do it. But, but, who, but who, who are these managers who you who, who you pick out? Uh, sure, right, Lanus now. Well, yeah, I mean, but do they have the shoulders to keep their jobs if they have a, a run of three defeats, for example? Foreign manager? No, no. no those local ah. managers with with low profile I'd, and I'd not successful at either River or Boca. Yeah, yeah but for me, talking who what? Gareca. Beles, Shura, mm-hmm. the current new uh, Lanús manager, uh, what Assad or somebody at San Lorenzo, yeah. if he does well with San Lorenzo now. Yeah, but um, how many countries have? Look at England, for example. Or oh no, I'm not. I'm not saying England has more of a sort of a manager. Yeah, any other? For me, like Argentina compares to somewhere like Italy in terms of like mm. the, the culture of, of thinking, um, sort of thinking tactically and, and stuff. Mm. Even though in Argentina, I think it's somewhat limited to two or three systems, uh, and. For me, the main factor is that imagine a foreign manager. What you were just saying, like losing three matches in a row, mm. it would he would be absolutely slaughtered. Like he, mm. he could not think of the pressure that current managers are under when they because they don't play because they're not Milanista or they're not Menotista. Or a foreign manager would absolutely get slaughtered. Yeah. He doesn't know the players. It's, he doesn't know our system. Uh, it could work both ways, and of course, results are everything. But uh, I'm thinking. For a foreign managers, manager to be appointed, it has to be has to be top of the line. Like I'm thinking Guardiola, Mourinho, for example, right? So, hitting so or something. Or hitting, but let's use the example of Guardiola, Mourinho, right? Mourinho said uh, in the past that he would love to coach Argentina. Oh, really? I didn't he, he said, uh, maybe I'm far off, but I think he said something along those lines. Imagine that situation, like Guardiola comes over... <laughs> Like half of the press, or maybe seventy-five percent of the press, they are like billardistas, uh, the way that like result-based uh, kind mm-hmm. of uh, pragmatic football, pragmatic football fans, right? And twenty-five, maybe a little bit more, are lyricists, as they call it here, lyricos. They, they they like the passing game, the creative, beautiful football. It's gonna be a war. Like Mourinho comes over, t- takes over, and all the the the. the the fans of the beautiful football are gonna kill him if he plays defensively all the time, or or if he comes with uh, the sort of antics he's uh, <laughs> antics or so, yeah. antics. Well, this is the thing: is, if, <laughs> if he brings his antics, it's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's a collector of <laughs> <laughs> Portuguese yeah. battleships, or whatever. <laughs> If, if Mourinho were to manage Argentina and send them into a match with Brazil in the same mindset that he sends Madrid into his matches against Barcelona, can you he's imagine gonna, what would happen? There would be war between the two countries after the game. No, and then he's going to have uh, half of the country supporting him and the other half absolutely despising him. And mm. that's that's something that is really... Not only the, 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 the fact of uh, them being foreign, which is going to be an obstacle too, because it, it's not... Uh, it's not a normal thing, and it's we as Argentine we th- we think we could do it, and we don't need someone else like, yeah. to teach us how to play football. That that would be like kind of a self-esteem a blow to the self-esteem like of the, the nation. Like the all over again. Yeah, <laughs> and so so not not only that would be an obstacle that their condition as foreigners, but. Also, the, the, the branch of or the kind of football they want to play. Yeah, I just really what I'm going to say reinforces Seba's point more than anything. Obviously, I'm from a country that has fallen far enough to appoint foreign managers. Obviously, Dan, Australia have had foreign managers, but I think 
so many foreign teams wouldn't, wouldn't keep stealing our players like you know, Christian Vieira at Italy yeah, or the Croatians, Croatians yeah. Yeah. Sure. no but uh, I'm, I'm just saying that obviously listeners in England can probably sympathise with this more because we've had foreign managers as a result of having fallen down no if you talk about traditional football, football powers uh, there are certain certain countries I think that you're never going to see with a foreign manager Brazil, Argentina Italy sure. Germany but once upon a time, England would have been on that list. Right. You know, fairly recently, within my memory, and, and you know, right up until the manager before Sven was appointed, it, it was almost unthinkable. And Seb is right in, in saying that, and, and indeed done, in, in just the fact that them being foreign, first of all, is an enormous handicap to them. Because Some the popular press in any country, okay, in Britain, they're probably worse than anywhere else, but in any country, they're vicious. Yeah. And... There's a lot of latent racism or whatever that happens, which is something that is, to an extent, shared between Argentina and Britain in, in, in their popular press as well, and all of this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I agree. It's, uh, at the same time, one of our friends, somebody we all know, uh, Seven, me slightly better than Dan, but Johnny, an American listener, hello Johnny, we hope to get you on as a guest at some point, um, has lived in Argentina for six years nearly, uh, very big fan of Boca and he's firmly of the opinion that Argentina would benefit from having somebody who that bloody dog <laughs> shot the hell up I apologise to our listeners for that background noise it's not, not zombie dog. it's not yeah, zombie it's, not zombie. it's, it's zombie. a smaller dog we can't hear zombie from here and I can't get the thing to shut up Johnny's very firmly of the opinion that Argentina would really benefit from having a manager who has been uh, kind of disconnected from the craziness of the coverage of the local scene, of the mm. pressure to constantly call up Riquelme or Tevez or whoever, and who doesn't have all of that on their back, who to some extent are unconscious of that. Which Sabella well, that's might the point, be. The, the point he, I was going to make, I, th- I think like Sabella is, is somewhat like that. I think he, he's mm. very experienced in Europe. And the other, the other guy is uh, Simeone. I, I don't think Simeone yeah. is a perfect manager yet, but I, I think he's, he's very, very open-minded and very That's adaptable. Potential. Yeah, the same as Sabella. Like yeah. very adaptable. They're not tied to this two or three systems that everybody uses in Argentina, and you have to play this way, or and you have to have a number five, or whatever. So I think like great potential there for, for Simeone and, and also Sabella. Sabella yeah. is another one. And to, to close this one about foreign managers and stuff, uh, think of this. Uh, some fans and some even some colleagues mm-hmm. I don't like to to call them colleagues but they are uh, are giving Messi a hard time they're calling him like they're saying oh you're from you're from Spain you're not from Argentina yeah so that's why you're not trying so hard for Argentina <laughs> imagine if a foreign manager comes along <coughs> and he loses so who's actually again. foreign rather than who, just who is actually foreign moved to Spain when he was twelve so I don't see it happening no either. Alright, uh, the other the other couple of questions will uh, we'll, we can I guess it, it merges into us talking about uh, the local league. But we had uh, one from Bill Victor. Uh, basically, he's asking how we think the the four new teams are going to do. And we sort of touched on this in a previous episode, but probably yeah. better able to answer it now that we've seen the first couple of games of each team. Yeah, the, the first couple in, in San Martin's case, it, uh, well, one they've, they've only played one because their match with Independiente has been postponed due to Independiente's participation in the highly prestigious Suruga Bank trophy in Japan yeah the, the others Samatin that's right they, they beat um, bloody hell oh, thank Tigre. you well at least you have a Tigre. Oh, okay sure yeah maybe Tigre so, Tigre that's, that's Tigre who have quite an awful team so it's hard to tell um, yeah Union have started with a draw and a loss Rafaela have started with a very impressive win and a loss um, Belgrano started with two draws I 
you know, when we recorded the the preview episode, actually, with, with Joel Richards, um, we were saying that none of the three of us really had a clue about Union, because having finished second they mm. in B Nacional <clears throat> last season, they didn't play either of the playoffs, so we didn't see them then. And they obviously crept in under the radar of Rafaela, who won the division in very impressive fashion. But I have to say, Union have probably the least impressive yeah. for me, although... <clears throat> Their second match, the loss that they've had was a 4 0 loss to Boca Juniors away in La Bombonera with all of the pressure. Yeah, but no, so I only agree with you. And with three goals in the last ten minutes, which was, you know, they were holding out well until that point. Um, Belgrano have impressed me in, in spite of their two draws that they've been against uh, decent teams on both occasions. I can't remember. Well, one was at home against Olimpo, which was a bit disappointing. Yeah, from the, but the opening uh, draw was. But Rafaela have been extremely entertaining so far, we can say. They won their first game uh, 2-0, they scored two early goals, they had two players sent off, and they managed to hang on. Mm. And then in their second game, they went 3-0 down fairly quickly. Their defending was terrible. No, it was terrible. absolutely... I thought they were going to lose 7-0, the way they were defending. Yeah. And they had a player sent off as well. And it was only Arsenal, so... Arsenal. The thing was, like, and then they got to go back. team that... We don't pay much attention to them at the <coughs> club because as a club they don't deserve to have attention paid to them, but the team... <laughs> no, uh, they're, 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 they're not the kind of team that will visit you and score three goals on <coughs> In that game, Rafaela, they, they, they were 3-0 down, they were playing down, and then they, they got a goal back in the last 20 minutes. They absolutely went at Arsenal, mm. like crazy mofos. And I think they're going to be like the, <laughs> like all boys with like the, the entertaining team last year. Entertaining? Like, they were a bunch of thugs. <coughs> exactly, they were a all bunch of thugs. <laughs> You like them until Barrientos has <laughs> nothing to do. Uh, well, That's what I mean. I mean, Rafaela have what had? Uh, they've scored three goals. This is two games. They've scored three goals. They've conceded three. three. They've, they've had three red cards. cards. I mean, like incredibly ill-disciplined, <laughs> which is something they have to sort out because they had two players suspended for the last game right. and also for this weekend's <laughs> game, which really hurts them. Obviously, they've now got another player suspended. Um, so if they, if they keep that up, they're probably not going to. Remain in the first division, but they'll definitely be. No, exactly. And, and I'll just jump in quickly and say that uh, Belgrano's draws, the, the opening weekend um, was 1 1 away to all boys. Uh, and the, this, this midweek round just gone. Last night, in fact, as we're recording, we're recording on Thursday, and on Wednesday night they drew 1 1 at home to Olimpo. But I think both of those are very high pressure games, considering that all boys and Olimpo are in some ways direct rivals for the relegation spots. I think once Belgrano get the hang of the division, and a really key thing at times, obviously they don't want to be doing something like Argentinos did in the Clausura and drawing their opening 12 matches or whatever <laughs> it was. Um, but a lot of the, t- at the time, feeling their way into the new division can be as much as anything about just not losing matches. Yeah. Yeah. So the longer they go without that, the more their confidence will start to build and they've got a couple of players still to come back as well. I think right. Belgrano are going to be... As you said, I think all of them were going to have probably going to have some trouble because of the, the system that, yeah. we, that we have here. Is, is yeah, but let, let's, give a, let's give Rafaela our vote of confidence because of their fabulous nickname, The Cream. The yes. Cream, yes. It's fantastic. Absolutely. And, um, and it has to be said that at the moment in the Promedio standings, San Martin de San Juan are top. They're number one. They've played one game and they've got three points, which means they have an average of three points per game. But Rafaela, even their 1-1 one, one, um, and lost one, leaves them with a point and a half. Uh, three points over two games which has them eighth in the table <laughs> and that's more or less where they would be if they were to average that out over the course of the season and I hope they will I hope they'll just have a win-loss win-loss yeah, average like one or two red cards a game Tigre who we mentioned with Joel are going to be in trouble this season right. uh, have already dropped from slightly above the relegation spots they've dropped down to 18th which is the lower of the two playoff places 
just on the back of, of some very yeah, well, they, they poor they, showings, really. They, well, they managed to draw against Racing. They did. They, they drew 1-1 at home to Racing um, they and then lost 2-1 to yeah, yeah. San Martin. And as you said, <laughs> you were saying down that San Martin beat them and, and they're uh, Tigre are a poor side. Yeah. I was impressed with San Martin's performance, but at the same time, Tigre didn't look like they were there at all. No, as we said in the preview, I think Tigre, we can almost guarantee that they're going to go down. Yeah, But the four, the four sides... I, I think Belgrano Belgrano are going to be okay in, in my opinion San Martin and Rafaela we'll have to wait and see Rafaela have to sort the discipline out they've got to stop getting red cards it sounds like an obvious thing to say but they don't seem to have caught on to it themselves Union this weekend's games are going to be really really crucial for Union to see how well they can pick themselves up from getting absolutely walloped at La Bombonera they're at home to Belgrano so that's two mm-hmm. direct relegation uh, rivals again coming together I had a, a, a question from one of the uh, listeners. Uh, Callum said, uh, asked about what kind of an impact will the absence of Mariano Donda have on, in Godoy Cruz? Not only their campaign, but the way they play. Mariano Donda, fantastic midfielder. Well, he played fantastically the last the last clausura, especially, and he's going to the Emirates with Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al uh, Yeah, he's going to play at Al Wassel. Yeah, let's just clarify that uh, Diego Maradona is managing a team in the United Arab Emirates. He's going to be living on an artificial island. Jumeira. Called Jumeira Palm. Palm. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> uh, Mariano Donna, he, he's still got to go through his medical, uh, but for a $600,000 fee. I, I like him a lot. I, in fact, I said towards the end of last season, he's a bit of a free kick specialist as well. He banged in a couple of free yeah, kicks for 40-odd yards. And, I don't know if he was that dominant in the Godoy Cruz midfield. I think he, I mean, uh, as I said, a good little player who, who pops up with, with goals and stuff from midfield, but I, I don't think it'll make a huge difference to the group. It might make a difference to their attacks. I think in, the, in pre-season they were playing him slightly more as a forward at times than as a, a midfielder this season. They definitely struggled without him last night. One more question. This is from Benji Inwood. Hello, Benji. Uh, he was asking, Racing's performance last night, they were fantastic. They yeah. won 3-0 against... Hit the post three yeah. times. Good uh, Exactly, and... Yeah, hit the post, uh, missed a penalty, uh, Teo Gutierrez hit the post, hit the post twice more from open play, and they looked really good, as they did at the start of last <laughs> season. So, uh, are they contenders, or...? This is, I wanted to put a slightly different uh, spin on this one, actually, as well, and, and ask Seba whether he thinks Teo Gutierrez, having scored twice and missed a penalty, is the new Martin Palermo for the Argentine League. What? He needs to score from the top of a building. <laughs> He's, he doesn't have immunity, but he met the president. That's a start. Yeah. He, he met the president. Yeah, just today. The yeah, Colombian sure. president is in town, and, and Theo was invited as an ambassador, and he looked, he looked really handsome. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I have a man crush on, on, on Theo and I think it's strictly because he's the best striker I've seen at Racing and I'm, I, I'm even rating him high, uh, higher than I rate uh, Lisandro Lopez and, and Diego Milito uh, when they were at Racing no, 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 no give me a minute give me a minute I'm not saying he's absolutely better, better than the, the other two but when uh, Lisandro and Diego Milito were at Racing they were not not as good as they turn out to be. And Diego Milito yeah. especially, he was just beginning, he just starting. He's, he wasn't the kind of clinical finisher he is right now. And Theo, he's got 14 goals in 18 games for Racing. They really impressed me in the first couple of matches, especially, I mean, even the draw away to Tigre, they were slightly unfortunate not to win. But there's, there's always a part of you at the back of your mind, which, and I know that you and English Dan will agree with this, which is why I'm saying it. I, I don't mean any offence to any Racing fans who are listening, but it's Racing. Yeah. They're going to find a way to screw it up. Uh, 
Only once. However, well, and as you say, they started really well, but uh, they did that six months ago right. at Clausura as well, and then just collapsed. Only once in my life, in my lifetime, we didn't screw up. So, I mean, the, the chances yeah. are are pretty pretty bad. But I think, on the other hand, the team got a little bit better, and I I, I prefer I, I like Simeone more than I than I like Russo. Mm. In fact, I dislike Russo uh, a lot, <laughs> and. Um, but, but the team got got better. Giovanni Moreno, the playmaker we were we were missing in the Clausura, is coming back. He's been cleared to train and he had his first training yeah, session today. I mean, I'm really curious to see how the team will work with Gio Moreno and Teo Gutierrez together. I think, and also those two are the best combination of players I I ever seen at Racing, and to I haven't seen them play together yet. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited about this prospect. But then so, to some extent. When we talk about uh, particularly Moreno coming back, basically, there's a bit of me thinking, and, and we were mentioning as well Simeone a few minutes ago. We were talking about how he's a very versatile manager. In a way, at Racing so far, he's been forced to be versatile because he's had to prepare pre-season and play the first uh, probably three matches because Moreno's not going to play this weekend um, without the player, the one player who he knows is going to become the most important player in the team mm-hmm. when he comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Simeone's had to kind of find this stuff. And one thing that Simeone's previous spell in Argentina was marked out by, he was in charge at Racing for, what, six matches or something, wasn't he? He, he retired in uh, 1 January when Racing's previous manager went, took charge of the club for six matches, did incredibly poorly, and this was when they were under a lot of pressure, if I remember poorly rightly. at the beginning, and then he had a very decent run, like, more than decent, like, okay. very good. But then the, president, the, the, the presidential candidate... One well, the, the guy who won the, the the elections had promised the fans that he would bring back uh, Mostaza Merlo, ah, okay. who was the manager, the last manager who won a title with Racing. He did that. He got rid of Simeone, which was an up-and-coming and very promising manager, who, after leaving Racing, won the league with two different teams. But this Estudiantes is the thing, because after after those six games at Racing, he went to Estudiantes, and with Estudiantes, he won the league, and then in the following short tournament. Mid table obscurity, and then with River again in his first short tournament, won the league, and in the second short tournament, they finished bottom. And that, that was only the second time in the history of short tournaments, which started in 1992, that decided to one championship and finished bottom at the, at the very next championship. Simeone's previous spells in Argentina, he started fantastically and then fallen away severely in, in the next one. So I just wonder whether he's learned enough during his time in Italy um, to, he can only to adapt well. I mean, ob- obviously he can only really improve, but you have faith with him to, to be a good I manager for Racing in the medium term. I do, I do. But I, I think the most important thing is that players uh, Racing used to rely on are now considered to be options as backups. Like, for example, Luercio, Toranzo. Mm-hmm. When, when Gio Moreno comes back, Toranzo is probably going to be a sub yeah. and same for Luercio he's already a sub uh, so that is I think is important because when Toranzo was first cho- first choice whenever he was suspended or, or injured the backup was not of a good same level, level yeah. the same level and team got better with, with Pelletieri as an option too in midfield and Lucas Castro who has it's been another player, you, you say that Pelletieri not Pelletieri. Pelletieri I've always said Pelletieri <laughs> <laughs> 
This is you probably this is probably gonna be the reaction you'll get when you say pelletieri. Then I just like this pelletieri. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to get uh, yeah without getting my hopes without spinning it now talking about Racing again. But um, I think it all is all going to hinge on how. Moreno integrates into the team or how yeah. Simeone integrates Moreno into the team when he comes back yeah. and we have a goalkeeper now that's, yeah, that's, that's, that that's my last point yeah. um, um, other, we were mentioning uh, before that Racing started the last short tournament Clausura uh, really well and then fell away a, a side who did exactly the opposite and I'm using this obviously as a way into talking about the rest of the league as a whole um, a side who did exactly the opposite during the Clausura started quite slowly and finished Stormingly and ended up as title contenders were Lanús, and they've kind of done the same thing so far in the first two matches in terms of performances. Started relatively slowly, but one thing that's making me think they could really be contenders, especially if they manage to repeat the form, is that in spite of starting slowly, they've won both of their opening matches. Absolutely, yeah. And in the case of the first, well, in fact, in in both of them as well, yeah, both against big five opposition. Uh, the first was a 1-0 win against San Lorenzo and the second was uh, against Independiente. Yeah, one doubting myself for a second then. Mm. Um, and really, crucially, uh, that goal was scored, first of all, as a River Plate fan, and I'm sure all the River Plate fans listening will understand the irony of this, Mariano Pavone scored the 93rd minute winner against hey, Independiente. He did the same when he was playing for Rio. He won the game I know. against Independiente. I know. And uh, that yeah. came came about six minutes before Rivers' yeah, debut I mean, in the in the beat. And yeah, and and I would also like to just mention that even when Pavone was with River, I was I always said that he was a good player for the team and that I liked him because he was putting far more effort in than any of the other forwards. Um, and it wasn't his fault that he's not the best finisher in the world. He was doing a lot to create chances for the others as well, and they couldn't put them away. He's an underworld model. But all the yeah, well, he's well, a big lad, as, as we have mentioned on, on previous underpods. But, but all the same, like a second row for the Brisbane Bobbies. Yeah. But all the same, I, I missed the second half of Lanús Independiente, and when I got back in and saw they won, on the one hand, I was happy because I predicted a Lanús win, albeit an easy Lanús win, and they won one 0 with a goal about five seconds before the full time whistle, literally. And then I saw the goal scorer. <laughs> And it was difficult as a River fan not to swear a little bit, at least. <laughs> no, as you say, they haven't but been... But really, really crucially, Diego Valeri came, came in with about 25 minutes to go of that match. And they missed Valeri for the first match, and it was really touch and go whether he'd play at all for them during the Apertura. Um, Due to a contract dispute. Yeah, exactly. He had a contract dispute. He wanted Lanus's. Well, we talked about this actually in the previous episode... Um, he wanted them to double the wages and the club said they couldn't afford to and eventually they, they came to an understanding. Um, he signed a two-year, I think, of his contract extension, which means Argentine football gets to see one of its best, with with respect to Gio Moreno, one of its best playmakers. Uh, and indeed, he's been called up to the national um, squad now to, for these matches against Brazil. But that could be really important for them. A, the boost of getting Valeri back, and B, the fact that they've got through these first two matches with six points, yeah, even think, though they've not played particularly I think that's well the vital anymore. factor. Like, uh, as we talked about in the preview episode, we talked about uh, Vélez, we talked about Lanús, we talked about Banfield, who've lost their first two games. Mm. I don't think they've looked too much worse than Lanús. Uh, Lanús. Actually, they haven't looked great, Banfield, to be honest. But just the, the fact that the tournaments are so short and picking up six points in two games is immense. Yeah. And Lanús... As you say, like with Valeri back, they they could do all sorts of things and, so far. Yeah, and, and plus they have Camaranesi was injured for this <coughs> second game. When he and comes he, back, which probably isn't going to be for this weekend, no, yeah. but maybe for the next, <coughs> that's going to be a big boost. And we were saying, they've got one of the best midfields around. They've got Silvio Romero up front, who I, as listeners <coughs> will know, 
love as a striker, um, even though they've <coughs> still been looking for other centre forwards because they don't feel they've got number nine. And well, they've got Pavone now. One of the best yeah. number nines in, in the country. Um, Reynero gives them a great option. Yeah, the young guy Pisado is an excellent midfielder. I still think Belles are going to win it, they, even though they've had a, they've had a draw in their first game and a, a fantastic yeah. win in their second game. They look yeah. in the in the game two days ago, was it? They looked fantastic. They will have cup competition coming up, right? So that could probably get in the way. Like uh, it's hard to see how play. much they to sort of many counter. I don't know how much attention they're going to pay. Yeah. And, and Racing has impressed me as well. But as we, as we as we talked about, I don't know how much you can rely on Racing to to keep up their performance. Yeah. Mm. I'd agree with you, Dan. I think actually Bellis are the clear favourites. But I, I'm still going to stick with what I believe I said before the preview edition and say that Lanús are going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like Lanús a lot. They've started. Um, yeah, and the so other I one I forgot to mention I, is San Lorenzo, who have impressed me in these first two weeks. Um, mm. They, they, like I really, I, I wasn't totally aware of all the players they'd signed. And but as you mentioned, Gigliotti before is mm. fantastic, yeah. like bull of a forward. He's a really sort of aggressive, muscular forward, and, and he's quite skillful on the ball as well. So um, they're, they're like a really, really tough team with Ortigosa, of course, in midfield, and, and these kind of players who sort of Salgado too. Yeah, these guys like they, they don't they, they, they sort of won't back down from a fight, but they're also actually quite quite skillful as well. So. They, they could be another one that's up there as well. And the one thing I will say with San Lorenzo, which I've just actually brought up on my screen so the others two can see it, is at the moment they've got an enormous chunk of their first team out with injuries. They've got Chris, Carlos Benitez, um, Aureliano Torres, injured, and Angie and Carlo Carmona. In fact, both of those were injured during the Copa America and haven't yet come back. Mm-hmm. Diego Martinez, Leandro Romagnoli, who given... At yeah. times, I think San Lorenzo's midfield looks slightly short of imagination, and Romagnoli is a key player for them mm-hmm. in, in that respect. And Gaston Aguirre, Fernando Messi is slightly less important, but those are several. I mean, what one, two, three, yeah, six yeah. really big players for them who are all out at the moment. Mm-hmm. They've got all of those to come back. Any other signs? <laughs> look, look, we're looking at the current league table. Well, I think after two matches, what we should have mentioned there as well is uh, Estudiantes, who a lot of us. Mm. Talked about as as contenders, uh, they had a perhaps mm. a blip last season where they they had a bad year. But well, again, they've started. The manager might have uh, got to grips with the squad over. The well, they've, season they've started horribly as well, terribly. Yeah, but well, uh, I think we haven't mentioned Boca, and I think Boca ah. has a, has a shot. Definitely deserve it. Yeah. yeah, they have a, they have a shot with Raquel Mefid, especially and with Sitanich, Viatri now. Now Boca look I was half watching a game as having dinner and pizza, wine. Etc. Uh, half watch and just seeing the you know it was a, yeah fantastic performance from from Biatri, Biatri who's who's as we always thought he would 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 stand up uh, in Palermo's absence and yeah. Riquelme looked fantastic guys like Colasso yeah. looked really good one thing I would say is um, and and I mean this as friendly advice if you will because I'm a River fan but I have Boca supporting friends um, I'm matching shoes. Yeah, well, tonight I am wearing blue and yellow trainers and stuff. It's just yeah. identify. Um, it, it, just to sound a note of caution is River started the Apertura last year really well, and everybody after about six or seven matches was saying, "Oh no, they're, they're fine. They'll be absolutely fine." And they ended up getting relegated. And Boca at the moment are still only two points clear of Racing, who are just above the relegation. Yeah, time. but River we're winning games one nil and. Sort of. Yeah, sure, but I mean, as as we said earlier, three of Boca's four against Union the other day in right. the last ten minutes, and Union, I think, conceded the second, and then they conceded uh, the, the Riquelme's goal. Beatrice's second goal was the first of the last three, if you will. Riquelme's first goal, sorry, Riquelme's goal, <laughs> and Nicolas Colasso's golasso. 
mm. um, if you will, brilliant goal from a mile out. It came within two minutes of each other. I think the Union defence fell apart. Just right, right. But yeah, I, I would say I, I was impressed with Bocca's performance. Um, but at the same time, I think the, the scoreline was slightly generous. I, I thought Union deserved better, at least. And I wouldn't, at the moment, get too optimistic if I were them. All right, um, so the jury is out on Bocca, yeah, yeah, for the moment. I think yeah. no, no one else. They're, they're, they're only going to get better, in my opinion. Well, they have Franco Sosa, mm-hmm. one of their signings, who has been injured. He he got an injury uh, on the tour of England. They had uh, well, Europe. They went to Spain and England, and then uh, Leandro Gracian, who's a backup for Riquelme, is injured too. But I think uh, as the tournament goes uh, on, uh, Boca will certainly be. There or thereabouts, yeah. One thing, if, if we've finished on the first division now, we'll do a, a. This isn't going to be a weekly thing. I have been asked by people, and I think probably people are asking me more than anyone because they know that I'm the River fan. They didn't I, ask me last year when I was. No, <laughs> no, it's funny. Is I, I, I can't work out why. We're, we're not going to do it every week, um, but I think it would be wrong this week, particularly, not to mention the fact that River made an historic debut. Um, well, not quite debut, but their first appearance in over a century in the second division on Tuesday night. Yep. There was there was actually a gap in the first division schedule so that it could be. Yeah, it was funny on. how it slotted in yeah. between the games. And very the very convenient. It was almost as if they'd organised it. Um, and they they played Chacarita Juniors, who actually that that was Chacarita's first fixture when Chacarita got promoted to the Primera two years ago was away to River. So in a way, it's you know the, come full circle if the circle's only two years long, which of course it's not. Well, um, you can go to back to 1969. Yeah, two years after yeah. the summer of love. That, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's something from the Football Rumble, one of my favorite podcasts too. So uh, full credit to them for that one. But anyway, <laughs> River and Chacarita in '69 they decided the first division title mm. and now Chacarita is another classic team who, yeah, another exactly. one of these classic teams who's in the in the second division now yeah and also one who every time they have to play a big five side recently when they've been in the Primera there's been some difficulties so perhaps it was a good thing they played in the second division this time and mm. therefore weren't allowed visiting fans in but Rivers performance I thought that they only won 1-0 and the goal came really early on from Juan Manuel Diaz in the sixth minute but just the performance taking into account obviously I'm aware that it's a lower standard of football it's a lower division but even so, they just looked so much more positive, so much more confident. And it would have been very easy, considering it's their debut in, in the competition, considering everybody was expecting them to win. It would have been easy for them to clam up and feel the same pressure they felt in the back end of last season. But they didn't. I, I don't think there was this, the, the same sort of pressure on them. But uh, as you say, they, no, they well, did look a, lo- a lot more relaxed. And, and I think that's more to do with them having more experienced players. Yeah, like they've exactly. Kevin Ayi I mean, and Alejandro uh, Dominguez, for instance, looked... Doming- Clearly didn't, to me, look match fit, but he was brilliant. Pork sausage sandwich Dominguez was, yes. was fantastic. Yeah, his, his nickname in Spanish is Chori, which is short for Chori Pan, or <laughs> as Dan says, pork sausage sandwich. Actually, Kevin Aggie didn't play that well, but uh, yeah, just having these older players, I mean, the the guys that they had last year that their team was based on were all these these guys like Lamela, very 20-year-olds, yeah. basically, and... and Possibly better, better players than these guys, but just the the fact that these guys are experienced and they're not feeling the pressure. Exactly. Uh, they look, yeah, they they're, look they're confident. They look good. Smattering of young players as well, but, but right, right. there's a couple more. Well, this, um, and, and the midfield, Matias Almeida was one of the best players last season, but the fact that he's now on the bench rather than on the pitch might in some way help. There's a little bit. Thank you, Daniel, for that clarification. 
I think that might help in some way. There's a bit more mobility in the midfield and, and more uh, slightly more dynamicism. Yeah, this young guy Ocampos who's 17 on the left, yeah. on the left wing. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Extremely quick. I still have a feeling it could all turn a bit sour now. If it's well, yeah, if it's possible say. that it could turn even more. They've been given. For. If anybody's wondering that, um, we knew that they were going to be given a, a closure of the stadium uh, as punishment for the riots after last last week. There was talk a month or so ago of it being closed for the entire season. It's been announced today, just before we started recording, um, the Estadio Monumental is going to be closed for five matches. Uh, so River are going to play those five, the next five home games. Uh, the um, uh, uh, Tomas Adolfo Duco, which is Oracan's home ground. The first two of those are going to be behind closed doors, and then in, in the third, fourth and fifth they will be allowed to bring fans in. The reason that the that fans were present in the Monumental was that, for various reasons, the sanction wasn't handed down until today, Wednesday, after the first game. Um, after the elections, that's all. Yes, essentially, that, that was right. The AFA handed the responsibility for passing down this punishment onto the government because they decided, AFA decided, that it wasn't River's fault, it was the security organ- organisation's fault. And there were elections here in Argentina, primary elections on Sunday, so the government didn't want to take the political risk, let's say, of, of punishing River too harshly before that day. The next match they play at the Monumental will be in the 14th round. But no, I think it, as long as they can kind of get over that enough, I, I think they'll be OK. I don't know if... There are going to be a lot of River fans at the next match as well. Independiente Rivadavia in Mendoza, um, whose president the other day on Twitter announced that he was going to be selling fan uh, tickets in one section of the stadium. It's going to be held in the Estadio Islas Malvinas, uh, sorry, Estadio Malvinas Argentinas in Mendoza, which is the World Cup stadium in Mendoza, which is where Godoy Cruz play their home games, to allow, obviously, more fans in. And Independiente Rivadavia's president announced that he'd be selling tickets to, and the way he put it was, people who are not fans of Independiente Rivadavia. Yeah. No and he, he put it that way because there is a ban, of course, on in, lo, in the lower divisions in Argentina on away fans. And... He is one of the men who is thinking about standing against Julio Grondona in the <coughs> AFA presidency elections later in the year. So that's basically a direct challenge. I mean, we'll see what comes of that. But more, that doesn't more mean importantly, he's sleeping with Pamela David, so that's, that's <laughs> a full credit to him. I don't know if he's going to win the elections or not. But Google it. Yeah, Pamela Google David. Pamela <laughs> David is the surname, yeah. right? Uh, just uh, well, I've to- been talking to some... Well, Boca fans and River fans, actually, and I just want to put this theory out there that see what Seba thinks, is that some theories I've heard is it's going to be extremely tough for River in La Vée. Obviously, they have the most talented squad of players, but the fact that not only the fact that they have to travel around to all corners of Argentina and play these teams in, in Córdoba and Mendoza, whatever, but also the fact that uh, I've heard a theory that you, you need to have sort of second division type players in your team to to compete. I disagree. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't think that's I think the best example was set by Estudiantes in '95. They have Verón, they have uh, Rubén Capria, all sorts of players that were really first division quality, quality to play in the first division and compete, and they walk away with the title. Right. It, it was just so easy for them, and it was easy for them to gain momentum because of that. And that's a theory that some people will 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 agree with. And it could even it could even work, but I think to expand on the theory is, it, is it, you need these type of players who know how to sort of play the game. Game like, fight, yeah, yeah, like I mean, the guys who I don't know have the rat cunning of, of the second division kind of thing. Yeah, I think it could be applied for for 
in other leagues. As yeah, well. exactly. If you go down from Premier League, mm-hmm. it's not the same kind of game in the Championship, and maybe you need to adapt to that. And even more so when you when you when you get promoted, you, you need mm-hmm. a total revamping of your squad. But I I disagree with that. I think the quality in the end will will, will prevail. Yeah. My worry in this case is that. River are not are not used to uh, going to these tiny grounds and playing, and they will undoubtedly have more pressure than anybody else. We well, all, we also Rosario Central was not was probably not going to have so much trouble coming back from, I don't know. I, I from second division. Yeah, difficult, yeah, but not impossible or, or maybe but, but they the do thing better is, than they did. The other thing as well is Rosario Central during 2009 to 2010 were far worse than River during 2010-11. River yeah, finished sixth yeah. on the overall table speaking last season. Strictly about football, right? yeah. And, and, I and, that, yeah, yeah, and speaking strictly about that one season mm. on the table. Central finished would have finished in the relegation places that season if Argentina had a proper relegation system. Mm. Whereas if if Argentina had a proper relegation system right. last season, River wouldn't have been anywhere near relegation. Yeah. And um, if anything, River have with the because of the name of the club, they've, yeah. they've been. They've yeah. brought in some incredible players for that. Yeah. I mean, okay, they've, they've lost La Mela, but ba- basically every other position they've, they've either kept the same players or they've yeah, and Lancini on on loan in Lancini's case. But every other position they've they've either kept the same players or they've improved yeah. on what they had before. Okay, we'll now go to a, a little bit of music again, and then Danny's going to come back, having not had to suffer the indignity of predicting the f- the second round results because we didn't have a show before it and try and predict our third round uh, which will be starting a matter of hours after you listen to this if you get in there early on Friday evening and we'll be right back Dan so um, the first game we have is Arsenal Vélez I'm going for a Vélez away win Gonna have a San Lorenzo win at home to Argentinos, Lanús to win away to San Martín, to San Juan, Independiente to beat Estudiantes, Old Boys Rafaela draw, Tigre Goy Cruz draw, Boca to win away to Newells, Banfield Racing draw, Olimpo Colón draw, and Belgrano to beat Union. Away. Away. Interesting about Independiente. I, I guess it's going to be a matter of uh, yeah. how many starters will Mohamed use because they have to play against Inter, the second leg of the Recopa Sudamericana. The highly I prestigious Recopa Sudamericana. I want to win it. If I if I'm playing it, I'm <laughs> going to win. Um, but it's not the same Estudiantes side as before as it was. As I'm, it was I'm wondering to what extent you've let you've learned some lessons from the first short championship you tried to predict Danny, especially after obviously well as we mocked you slightly at the end of the season for, for having done so not predicting a, a Studiantes to lose a single match last season are you well, going to be varying how you read the team well I would have I would have actually I would have thought uh, as we said before we, we're coming back a bit stronger but yeah. based on their first two games no uh, we'll see we'll see maybe they'll they still have the players it's Veron is out Though, so yeah, but Veron's not going to be playing. He's not going to be playing. Now he's been called up to the to the local national team. That he's he'll probably miss two or three of the next few games. So yeah, the standout kind of fixtures of this round. I think San Lorenzo Argentinos is going to be good. Arsenal Venice actually the first game on Friday night. It's, it could very well be an entertaining one. And as I said earlier, All Boys Rafaela. It, it's another 
match against a, a rival. From well, I think we'll get a good idea of, um, as we were talking about before, the, the four teams that have come up. Uh, obviously, Union Belgrano is going to give us a good indication mm-hmm. of which of, which of these teams are the real deal and which are just yeah. you know, we're going to drop straight back down. And we might just possibly this weekend have a return for Hugo Barrientos, who's been suspended for the first two rounds of the Doneo really? Apertura uh, because of a red card, unsurprisingly, that he picked up on the last thought, day of the previous one. he was in jail. <laughs> Well, he might, he might be going to jail, actually. I'm surprised that he doesn't get suspended being, uh, more, because he seems to get a red card. As we saw on Twitter a few weeks ago, Seba, that um, a young journalism student here in Argentina got beaten up by him at a oh, petrol really? station. Yeah, I, I, he's actually contacted me since and sent me a copy of the... Um, Google or the, the student? <laughs> no, the, the, the student has contacted me since and sent me a copy of the declaration that he's made in front of the court to... Um, Basically saying that it was Hugo Barrientos what done it. Yeah, because he's dangerous from astonishingly um, bad. But of course, if Barrientos is coming back now, and Moreno might come back for what the fourth round, and then in the fifth round, who are Racing playing Seba, and in which stadium? Ah, Revancha. Yeah, it could be a very interesting. Now now uh, Teo is there to protect (laughs) (laughs) you. His mighty elbows. Yeah, he knows how to use them. So, but yeah, it it looks obviously as I say. Racing unlikely to have Gilles' presence this weekend, but for the fourth round game, uh, at home to Arsenal, that's probably going to be G Day, as I'm sure. <laughs> Seven done, we'll, we'll refer to it now. Yeah, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping we hit the G spot. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, and the pod is available for all of your family Argentine football podcasting needs. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not sure what else we have to say about in terms of previewing the third round. It's, it's some, I some it interesting. Could be make or break. It could be already, uh, even if it could be considered to be very early, it could be make or break for Banfield's season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know what you mean. They don't have an easy fixture with Racing mm. coming to, to, to the Florencia Sola Stadium and third, uh, three defeats in a row. Three yeah. defeats in a row could be too much. For After that, they visit Godoy Cruz, who obviously, as we said, are slightly out of form at the start. But you know, we're yeah. thinking about betting in at least by that point. And then it's again another away game again, albeit against Tigre. Yeah, they've got one or two awkward-looking fixtures coming up, Banfield. So I wonder if there is a managerial change in in, in the cards mm. here. If they fail to, well, to get something out of that, that's what we always talk about. These kind of things are not fatal in a long championship, but in a short championship, losing two games, losing three games in a row is is almost fatal. Yeah. Like you, you can't lose nine points like that. And, and the other one that jumps out at me is the last last game in the round, uh, which will be held quite late on Monday night because Monday in Argentina is going to be a bank holiday. Uh, Union against Belgrano, two of the newly promoted sides, both will be really looking for a win there to try and hurt the other as much as possible. That that's going to be interesting to watch and, and we'll see how it goes um, but anyway we're going to leave now um, next week we're going to be joined slightly earlier in the week of course because we've got the benefit of having a weekend round of matches to review we'll be recording on Tuesday night and we'll be recording with a visitor a very special guest from Huracan London FC uh, the let's say English branch of Huracan who's going to be telling us exactly you know all about his, his club um, um, one or two other things and when's English time back is it in two weeks time I hope he's back tomorrow because I miss him <laughs> we'll, we'll have your full round of Racing 
bollocks, at least within a couple of weeks, <laughs> if, if not next week. Uh, we're not exactly sure when he is back, because he's too busy rioting or whatever he's doing in London. Uh, you promised to bring me an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just like to say, like, hand up probably like those images of Dan uh, looting a Carhartt store in in Bristol were that was not actually Dan. It was somebody no. who looked a lot like him. And moreover, if it does turn out to be him, the rest of us have nothing to do with it whatsoever. <laughs> we would like to detach we ourselves. From really can't stress this enough. Dan Edwards. No, absolutely. <laughs> I'll say very quickly, since since we sort of said if we remembered to, then we might mention it, and, and I have remembered to. Um, we very much like it, those of you who are either resident in the UK or citizens of the UK, if you would sign the petition to the UK government trying to convince them that releasing the Hillsborough, uh, the, the files from the investigation into the Hillsborough disaster at last, is the correct thing to do. If you're not sure what's going on, essentially enough time has passed now that these files should be released into the public eye, but there are certain people who are trying to block their release um, and it's nothing at all to do with Argentine football of course can, but can very we, much the right thing I, th- I think Can we people from outside the UK also sign No, well this is what I was saying I've, I've actually been removed from the electoral roll in the UK uh, by my mum because if you're on the electoral roll then you can also be called up to jury service and so she felt it was the right thing to do to not put me on it this time round yeah. um, as a result of which I don't I, I feel slightly funny about signing it because if they then decide to check up on everybody and there are any signatures on there which aren't, you know, validly registered to a UK address, it might be funny. But if you're in Britain or if you... Sorry, if you live in Britain, legally, um, <laughs> or if you're a UK citizen and still have a postal address in Britain, uh, then please sign that. I'll try and get a link up to it uh, on the Hand of Pod blog. As I say, nothing at all to do with Argentine football, but it's something that all football fans around the world, really, I'm sure, are aware Absolutely. of the Hillsborough disaster. Unfortunately, we're never going to get probably investigations into similar things like the Gate 12 tragedy at River Plate Boca here in Argentina, uh, which was back in the 60s. Um, but yeah, if, uh, please do that. It will take two seconds of your time, um, and, and it's very worthy. Anyway, we'll, we'll get going now until next week. The next episode's going to be out in less than a week's time. So we hope you've enjoyed this one, albeit we're slightly tipsier than usual, and we've been recording for nearly two hours. <laughs> Okay, this is going to be a long, long editing process for me tomorrow. Before, before we go, I want to send a kiss to Lisandro. Welcome back. <laughs> so happy. Would you like to send any kisses to Argentine uh, to national uh, team players? Don't no, I'd like to send a kiss to Vicky Ronda, who <laughs> <laughs> Seven made me aware of today. A politician, with a busty politician, as, as he described her to me. I think it's an accurate description. I wasn't lying, I think. <laughs> no, I <laughs> As I was saying, they, it, it's not now. They've since covered them over, but um, it, just across the main avenue from from where I live, her, her posters were all over the the advertising hoardings there, and they're one of the the more pleasant um, ones to look at in terms of. I mean, Seve is, is a supporter of, of Christina, but I'm sure even he will admit that her posters are not the nicest, botoxed and airbrushed no, to but oblivion. That, but now, that, <laughs> now that she took a picture with Theo, I mean, <laughs> she's the best we ever had. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Vicky Donda, the new rising face of Argentine politics. If you live in Argentina, please vote for her. Vicky Donda. Um, absolutely. On which, slightly tipsy note, now we probably better stop recording before we say anything that further incriminates us. So this has been Handapod. Uh, goodbye from Sebastián Garcia, and welcome back to Buenos Aires. Hasta luego. Goodbye from Australian Dan. Carl Panchos. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.